What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down with my legal guru, Russell Smith, the man that not only myself, but all of All 3 America and many, many other production companies around town use for all their entertainment legal counsel. Russell's a great guy. He cruised in the office looking so unlawyer-like. He jumped right into it with a great anecdote about his personal experience counseling Donald Trump in a case. Uh, We talked a little bit about Harvey Weinstein. He also worked closely with Sasha Baron Cohen on all of his early works, The Ali G Show, Borat, Bruno, many great legal anecdotes stemming from that work. We also talked about how he outsourced legal work to India. He's a fascinating guy. He lives in North Carolina. He's a Hollywood lawyer. Here's my sit-down with Russell Smith. I hope you enjoy it. So this is a first for the show. This is the first lawyer to be on Unscripted and Unprepared. And it's a first for me. You sent me emails kind of talking about, here's we can bounce around, different topics we could discuss. You are like the most interesting man in the world, Russell. <laughs> you really are. And I don't even drink Dos Equis, and I don't need to have blonde babes next to me. But you, you're a lawyer that brings an entourage because you have a guest today. That who, is true. Who'd you bring with you today? I brought Chris Matson, formerly with Netflix, HBO, and head of production at Magnolia Pictures. You want to say something? Uh, yeah, I was head of business affairs and production at Magnolia. But yeah, Netflix, HBO, Granada in the UK. Um, what, what accent we got working there, Chris? New Zealand. All right, yeah, Kiwi. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm working my way around the world, New Zealand to London to Very New York good. to Los Angeles. Uh, and you, you're yeah. also based in the New York office? Los Angeles. You're in Los Angeles. Yeah. You're at yeah. full-time in New York, right, Russell? Uh, yes, I'm never there, but that's my uh, office. Do you I actually a... live in Asheville, North Carolina. But Do now you really? I'm, but now I'm spending maybe half the year in, in Los Angeles when I'm not overseas. Okay, so I want to – It's complicated. I want to paint a picture for the, the listener, listeners here. You are cruising in with shades on your head. By the way, you still have the sunglasses on your head in my office, okay? You've got sandals on your feet. So you're just rocking this like... This like a hip-hop song. You're rocking vacation mode right now. You're not what I would picture as mega entertainment lawyer Russell Smith, but this is, this is the package. I was told this is the way it is in L.A., so... Okay, so uh, this is L.A. mode, Russell? I'm, yeah, and, and Venice Beach, so... How many years have you been practicing law? About 30. What, what is the name of the law firm? Smith Dean, LLP. But it's been through a bunch of iterations. There was a Dornan in there. There was Smith yeah, Dornan. Yeah, D- it started as the law offices of Russell Alexander Smith, PC. And I thought that would sound like a big law firm because that was just my name. So people would call and say, is Mr. Smith there? And I'd say, no, he's not. And then they would say, um, well, how about Mr. Alexander? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but can we do something about the law firms and why they always have six, seven names I in know, it. Why just, can't they just have names like agencies where it's super clean? I don't know, but uh, the first law firm I ever worked for was Finley, Cumble, Wagner, Casey, Manley, Heine, and Underberg. You are kidding me. I'm not kidding. And the receptionist had to say that every time the phone rang. Finley, Cumble, Wagner, Casey, Heine, Manley, Underberg. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. That's like my mom's uh, <laughs> full name when I take in both my mom's marriages and her two middle names. It's Regina Maria Francesca Carnicelli Fox Owens. Wow. That's good. That's a crowd pleaser. Now we're Smith Dean, 20 lawyers, and we're in a lot of different places. And who are all the different folks you work for? Just give them a snapshot. Oh. Like you uh, told me you had like 16 projects you're advising on for Netflix. For that's ex- correct. For example. Um, well, there's just, I don't know where to begin. Um, 
So you're, you're a big freaking deal. Yeah. You're a big freaking deal. <laughs> well, not me, but uh, our, our law firm is handling 68 current series. and I, I, Current I, series that current are airing. Current series, yeah. Airing or in production? Or airing or in between seasons. Okay. And I couldn't even list them to you unless I brought my laptop if you no. wanted to know. No, I won't, make, I, won't, <laughs> I won't put you through that. You told me one of your last assignments at the law firm you were at before you departed to go out on your own. You were working on a Donald Trump case? Can we just start right there? Sure. It was, it's kind of interesting, especially in light of current events. Uh, I was a kind of junior person there, although I think I might have just made partner. And you have to understand the firm was extremely liberal, like most people are in Manhattan. And uh, Trump was anathema. Like people did not want to be associated with Trump. You was know, that was, every, that a, was that a legal term you just threw out? Because I don't know. What, <laughs> I don't know what, you, what he was. was a, uh, what, he was, was a what, pariah. What was the word? Anathema. He was a. It was like an enema. No, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, he is closer a to a pariah. An okay. He was a pariah. Right. Like he, people would try. He would try to get people to come to his weddings. He had many weddings, as you know. Right. And he would end up getting people like O.J. Simpson because no one would come to the weddings uh, or want to be seen. So is this pre-apprentice? Uh, yes, I think, yes, definitely pre-apprentice. Okay. And it was when he was in Lenox City and his casinos were failing and he was going bankrupt and the plaza, I think, went bankrupt. And Marla Maples and... Yeah, right. that kind of thing. Uh, he was kind of a joke. And uh, the uh, Business Week magazine had him on the cover saying something like, Donald Trump, is he really worth anything or something like that, you know, denigrating to his wealth, which he doesn't like to hear about. Um, so he wanted to sue them, and he hired our law firm to sue Business Week. But no one in our law firm would be caught dead suing Business Week on behalf of Donald Trump. And so my mission was to convince him not to sue Business Week. And they didn't even want to be seen in his office, you know. Or you know. So I, anyway, I, I had to go to his office and talk to him about it. And so I basically How said – How old are you at this point? I'm not – I'm not uh, super young. I, I think I'd be like 31, 32 okay. maybe. 31, 32, and you're assigned the Donald Trump case because nobody else at the firm wants it. Yeah. So you're going into his office at what, Trump Tower? Exactly. And, and how uh, – And how? Give me, walk me through the whole sure. thing. Is it gold-plated sure. gold oh, everything? It, it's just like it is downstairs. 20-something-year-old you know, assistant out at the desk? Absolutely. Babes everywhere and, <laughs> and – uh, and they said, uh, Mr. Trump will see you now. So I, I – and they – Did the meeting I, start I, on time? I believe so, maybe okay. even a little bit early. Okay. And uh, they ushered me into his office, which is a corner office, you know, huge, of course. And uh, there's a whole bunch of people in there. And I got very confused. And, and, and Trump says to me, oh, you're Russell Smith. I want to introduce you to my friends, blah, 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 blah. And it was half of the Mexican cabinet was in there. What? And, yes. Mexican cabinet. government? He was the Mexican government cabinet. And he was doing a deal with them. I don't know what it was. And – I later learned that what he does is he introduces everyone from when one meeting is ending and another was beginning. He brings them in, and I guess it was to impress me, which which I later realized he was trying to do, which I thought was pathological because I'm just a junior lawyer. Right. Why would he be trying to impress me? Oh, my God. You just gave me a flashback, though. You just gave me a flashback to when Harvey Weinstein did the same thing with me. Oh, my God. I, I like, never met Harvey. I had a meeting. Out, you know. I, I, can, do you mind if I just jump in and share this real quick? Please. So I have a meeting. Uh, I get called last minute that Harvey wants to see you at the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Our office was just down the street from it, like, you know, a mile or so. 
I, this is when I was working for Ben Silverman at Electus and we were doing uh, Marco Polo together uh, at Netflix. So his assistant's like, Harvey wants to see you. Go, go meet him at the Polo Lounge. I'm like, oh, okay. Just the two of us, which is odd. In his bathroom? Because, you know, normally he – yeah, no, not in his room. <laughs> thank God, at the Polo Lounge. So we go in and he is on a conference call and it's around the time of the Globes. So he is in like marketing award season mode where he's trying to work – getting his cast nominated, things like that. And I sit down at the table and I'll never forget it. It was like odd hours at the polo lounge because the place was fairly empty. So it was like 1130. Like it was in between breakfast and lunch crowd. And he's sitting there alone at a table with his assistant um, with a Diet Coke and French fries and just a white T-shirt. And he carries on this conversation on the phone. And he just kind of motions to me like, sit down, sit, sit, sit. And he's like, sorry, sorry. And he just keeps going on this conversation where he's like, you know, in full Harvey mode trying to get somebody nominated or something. And this conversation goes on like a really long time. And I'm just sitting there he waiting for the, for the meeting to begin. And I'm looking at the assistant like, do you need me to sit here? I can, I can wait out in the lobby. Like, is this private? <laughs> he's like, no, no, no. Stay, stay, stay. And Harvey keeps like motioning over like stay. And then eventually – you know, when he's about to wrap up, he goes, I need to get off the call. Jimmy Fox is here to see me. It's a very important meeting, and Jimmy Fox is here, so I need to go. And I'm thinking, you know, 26, 27 at the time, whatever I was, I'm thinking, Harvey Weinstein knows my name personally. And yeah. the first time he met me, he thought my name was Jamie. And, you know, this is so great. <laughs> and it totally just reminded me of how you're 30, 31, young, lowest lawyer on the, the totem pole at your yeah. firm, and Trump felt the need to impress you yeah. before he even got to know you. Yes, Crazy. And when uh, I promised uh, someone I would never say this, but it doesn't matter because it's so long ago. And you're a lawyer, but so I'm sure you can get yourself out When the out meeting of it. was over, I'll tell you about the lawyer, but, about the meeting, but when the meeting was o- over, Harry Evans, uh, who was head of Random House, walks in. And I know him because he was an expert witness in one of my cases. And he looks at me, I look at him like, what are we doing here? And then as, as soon as I got back to my office, there was a voicemail from him. Do not tell anyone that I was in Donald Trump's office. Why? Because it was just – first of all, they were doing that art of the deal thing. Oh, OK. And also it's just not – it was just in social – you know, as a matter of social status, it was very embarrassing to be associating with So he really Trump. was like C-list. Absolutely. At that point. Absolutely. So did you end up suing Business Week? No. And what I told him was that – you know, you don't need to sue Business Week. You know, that's that's just flattering them, and hmm. they'll just love it because then they will, you know, have a big lawsuit. And, and they'll, they'll get the free press they'll out They'll look of it. like the heroes. And, you know, what you should do is just go down and uh, – this is not really legal advice, so I can just repeat it. And even if it wasn't – it was legal advice, so I might repeat it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, because I I think it would be an honor for Donald Trump to try to get me disbarred. Yeah, it's, but it's, anyway. it's, a, long, it's a long list at <laughs> but, this point. But anyway, he uh, – uh, the thing was to just say, look, what you should do is get a meeting. I'll get a meeting for you with the whole editorial board, oh. including the editorial editor in chief, and you just give them a piece of your mind. You know, you set them straight hmm. because I'm sure you can do that. And then I'm thinking in my mind, I have nothing to say because we had already looked at the books and stuff, and he had no case. You know, he was going bankrupt. He didn't have money. He was in right. debt. He had zero minus money. You know? Right. And a journalist can pose any question they want. They can say, hypothetically, is Donald Trump really worth anything? That's not against the law. Yeah. Well, they liable. reported that he wasn't right. worth anything. And, wow. Uh, and that was true at the time. Huh. So uh, and maybe, maybe now. I don't know. When, anyway, was, that so, the, was that the only time you spoke with him? Like after that no, case? No, was no. that, was oh, that no. it? No. We had a couple meetings about it. He wanted to think about it. And then he agreed to do it. 
So I had set up the meeting at Business Week, which is in the McGraw-Hill building down Fifth Avenue from his Trump Tower. So met him at his office. We get into his uh, limousine, which was a bulletproof Mercedes 500 S-Class. Okay. You know, very New York, not a big, long thing, uh, you know, to get around traffic, I guess. Anyway, we're in there, and the interesting thing is his bodyguards can't fit in the car. So they're, they're really big, and there's two of them. So they ran along the street, get out along the sidewalks, while we went down Fifth Avenue to the McGraw Hill building. About, Shut up! About fifteen blocks, they ran, and it was a hot day, and they were in black why suits. Why, wait, hold on. Why couldn't they just take a taxi and shadow the car? I guess I, I, I don't know. They ran on foot. I, I, they ran on foot, like Secret Service agents. Yeah, exactly. I think it, was, it reminded car. me of like something like King Tut or something, like some kind of procession. Wow. You know, where you have like courtiers and and then we get to the meeting and it was just classic Trump. You know, he uh, he just started berating them. You know, all the editors were there. It was a big big conference room right. and and they didn't say anything. They just nodded and nodded. You know, and he said, "You think I'm dumb? I'm smart. You think I didn't go to the right schools? I went to the best schools. You know, all the stuff he says now." And he said, "He said you people are the dummies. You guys are all losers." If you had any brains at all or any business sense at all, you wouldn't be working on a losing paper like Business Week. So even magazine. then he was saying – Same thing. It was a failing it paper. It was a stick, yeah. Wait, hold on. Newt Magazine. Something just uh, occurred to me. Yeah. Did you ever see him read anything? No. You didn't? No. Did you ever put anything in front of him that he should have read? No, I knew better. Do you think he can read? <laughs> I have no No, idea. this rumor like, – no, Samantha Bee did a whole 10 minutes yeah. on like – People really don't think he can read or he can't read well. You're going to have to ask someone else that. I but you never know. saw him read anything. I never saw him read anything. Even in film depositions, the... he will not read stuff in front of I him. I also never saw him having sex, but I heard that he does have sex. Okay. See, so just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not, it's right. not real. Uh, that's a great story. Thanks for leading off with that. Uh, so Smee... Oh, and then after it was over, yeah. as we were discussing earlier, he, uh, he was very uh, – he wanted to make very sure that I thought he did a good job. Oh. And I said, you did a great job. You just shut them up, you know, because, you know, they were going to talk. Why are they going to make the situation worse? Right. And he didn't sue them. So, you know, they got off. And you look like a hero. Amazingly. Yeah. Amazingly, I did. God, what a great story. Uh, all right. So 2007, Nikki Fink, in the early, early days of Deadline Hollywood, uh, writes an article about a law firm in India called SDD Global. This is a law firm that is founded by Smith, Dornan, Dent. Dean. Dean, sorry. It's okay. Smith, Dornan, Dean at the time. And this article, which isn't a long article, goes on to explain that major Hollywood studios are outsourcing the legal work to this India-based law firm. And in the article... It basically describes, you know, the why of it all. And it says in this article at the time, this is 2007, that in the U.S. you could pay between 450 to $650 an hour for legal services. Very old article. <laughs> right? Entertainment services, Much entertainment law services. In India at this time, reportedly by Nikki Fink, it would cost 60 60 to $100 an hour. And that is the service that SDD Global was providing. Correct. 
You founded this SDD global law firm in India. Yeah, SDD stands for Smith, Dorn, and Dean, which was the name of our firm at so the time. It was the India branch. Correct. How did this? This is genius. How did this whole outsourcing, you know, of, of the law of the legal staff? Did you employ local India-grown yes. lawyers and just teach them entertainment law? Yes. How did this occur to you? I went over to India on a dare. I was in a yoga class in Amagansett, and everyone in the class was uh, daring each other to go to India. And four of us said, we'll go if you go, that kind of thing. And we had all agreed to go. Right. Two of us ended up going. The other, back, the other two backed out. Anyway, we went to India to study yoga in Mysore, India, at the feet of a big yoga guru, uh, Patabi Joyce, Ashtanga Yoga. And um, so while I was in India, I got to know people, locals. And we needed to get some subpoenas out in a case back in the United States. And as I recall, we had nine subpoenas. We needed to get them out uh, during the uh, weekend. And I asked the people who worked for me in the United States, would they mind working on the weekend? And they said, honestly, we would mind. And I was thinking, you know, who, who do I know who can just do this? Because you actually don't have to be a lawyer to fill out subpoenas. Right. And I was thinking of starving artist friends and, you know, <laughs> starving producer friends and – uh, I thought, why not Srijit, this guy, this college student I had met, met in my neighborhood. And I asked him, do he want to do it? He said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And he knows computers and he's smart and everything. And I said, how much do you want to be paid? And he got very sheepish. And he said, well, could, you, could it be $1 an hour? I said, mm, okay. So, so we paid him a dollar an hour. It took him forever to do it. I think it cost twenty dollars. Okay, and it should have been like just two dollars. <laughs> but, but but the subpoenas got done. And next you know next week I'm in, at breakfast somewhere, and someone hands me an article from the Times of India, saying that there's this thing called legal process outsourcing, and that there's these six companies doing it. And I just – a light went off. I just said, I just did that. But was anybody doing it in the entertainment space yet? No. And there, there's still no one doing it in the entertainment is space. Is it still out there? Oh, yeah. So, it's going strong. So the India office is still working Hollywood cases? Absolutely. Is, there, any, of our there, stuff, is any of our stuff being outsourced to India? Uh, well, sometimes, yeah. Here in all I, I can't remember any particular items. But, you know, for oh, – yes, of course, like title searches, right. title opinions – Sometimes legal research, if if uh, needs to be done quickly. Wow! And, yeah, unbelievable. But these, but these people are functioning in India are functioning at the level of a mid level or senior level associate at a huge law firm in L.A. Right, and this is 2007, so this is 11 years ago. They've even been hired to supervise the work of L.A. lawyers on litigations. So now they're reverse managing. Yeah, over. like they said, you know, for example, you should file an anti-slap motion. And the L.A. lawyer wow. for the insurance company never thought of that. And that's just a device we use to beat down, slap down lawsuits against media. So wow. they, know, they know the L.A. courts, federal and state, superior court, like the back of their hand. So one of your, your calling cards has been working with Sasha Baron Cohen. Yes. You worked across the Ali G show. You worked across Bruno, Borat. Borat came before Bruno. You've been his go-to guy. His legal counsel. That is true. Throughout his career. And he made his first commercial endorsement of our law firm. Amazing. I want to say that too. Amazing. He said something about it. He said, you guys are going to go down as legal revolutionaries. Well, if there's, and I said, can I put that – can I use that as an endorsement? He said, yeah. Well, if there's anybody that is going to push his lawyers to the brink – you know, especially in the documentary Unscripted Space, it's Sasha Barra Cohen. Absolutely. So you 
basically we're just in the midst of creating you know case studies for you know years to come working with him on his on his earliest stuff yeah can you describe for me the first time you met sasha baron Cohen? yes it was uh right before going into a conference room at hbo which was the most tense meeting of my life where the entire legal department was sitting there plus a couple of creatives i anyway i'm not gonna name names but uh and uh, our job was to convince HBO that the Ali G show could be done, period. Okay. Because their position was, like any lawyer would be saying, you know, at that time in, in history, um, if you're going to punk someone or you're going to uh, do a candid camera routine and make fun of someone, you get them to sign the agreement after, before and after mm-hmm. the, uh, the filming. And as you know from Sasha Baron Cohen's work, no politician, CIA director, attorney general, FBI director, they're not going to sign anything after Newt Gingrich. You know, right. They're not going to sign anything. They're, we're walking off and looking for a, a lawyer to sue him. Right. You know, So we did the research. We just patiently explained how it could be done, hmm. what kind of agreement would stand up in court. And uh, it was tense. Okay, you know? so I'm going to play the role of the HBO lawyer. Okay. Okay. So, Sasha, you're telling me you are going to, under false pretense, set up interviews with political figures and other celebrities in character as Ali G. They are not going to know that you are an actor. They are not going to know necessarily what you're setting them up for. You are punking them. You are deceiving them. How are we supposed to believe that we can legally get away with this and that we're not going to get strapped with lawsuits after the fact? What is the method in the field when, when, when producers greet them at the door to sit down for the interview? What is the process going to be? Are you sticking a form in front of them immediately before the cameras turn on? Tell me what you guys are going to do. Sure. First of all, we're not deceiving them. They are deceiving themselves. We're not saying anything untrue. That's oh, such a good lawyer answer. That's such a good lawyer. <laughs> We're not saying anything Your Honor, untrue. <laughs> Your Honor, the defense rests. They, they are flattered. Because we're telling them we're making a TV series. We have a foreign youth presenter. Uh, it's going to be about icons of America. You, sir, are an icon. <laughs> and young people have so much to learn from you. It's going to be oriented. It's going to be documentary style. Now, they read into that it's going to be a documentary. Right. But it wasn't a documentary. Right. Um, uh, it's going to be using adult formats. You know, it's going to be reach, trying to reach young adults. Okay. And for us... The key word was adult, and for them it was young. Right. And uh, and and also the the one page document which I drafted for them to sign, which I believe is the first time since the 19th century. Chris can tell me where a lawyer actually drafted a contract from scratch. <laughs> you know, right, you, it, it's usually just passed on. It's and, not, wait, wait, what? That's really? why that's why talent agreements are 28 or 70 pages. It's because, not just copy and paste and boilerplate? Because people just keep adding it. Like every time, you know, right. new lawyers come this in. It's one studio. page. So you have them. We have one page. one page. It's all plain English. It doesn't say the nature of the show other than what I just told you. It doesn't say who is the presenter. It says... Also, uh, if in the case of a national emergency or a, a nuclear attack or a typhoon or fraud yeah. or breach of contract or flood or there. flooding, you know, it just lists all these things that we're not going to be liable for. And once in a while, people would say, 
wow, so I couldn't sue you about anything. And we'd say, that's right. You cannot sue on any basis whatsoever. Hmm. And we listed in plain English all the things that we thought they might sue us for. And you would just slip in breach of contract in between natural disasters. It wasn't that long. You know, so right. Again, the whole contract, you have to remember, is one page. And this is one small paragraph, which does include nuclear attacks and you know <laughs> things like that. Yes, it does. And they would hand them to them beforehand, before? Right before. Right That's before. the other thing, right before. And even in the setup, there was never any um, lies told. So you know? there was a lawsuit that came of that, right? There were lots of lawsuits. How many? Uh, gosh. How many people uh, came after you? I would say, well, through all the different films and the LED sure. show, uh, I haven't counted lately, but it's probably 17 lawsuits. And there. how many were won by the plaintiff? None. 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 And that's why Bruno, even though some would say Bruno was way more offensive than the LG show. Yeah. Or, or Borat, because Borat is kind of a lovable character. Bruno was a you know total asshole. Right. And then you had the gay aspect to it, too. So right. he, he was going after rednecks and whatnot and sure. trying to have sex with them and yeah. you know, things like that. And trying to lure them into a bigoted yeah, or discriminatory, very, yeah, exactly. bring that out of them. Exactly. Right, by, by his character's actions. Right. He was all – Sasha – He was baiting think, them. Sasha thinks of himself, uh, and maybe correctly, as a uh, you know, kind of a civil rights advocate in a way because mm-hmm. he's, he's exposing the way people will treat minorities. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know, his, his, one of his, uh, his dissertation in college at Cambridge was race relations in the United States. Hmm. You know, so he's very interested in – How would you describe him as a human being? A great, uh, away, a away, away from away from him as an artist, just the human being. A funny guy, a shy person. Shy. Yeah, like at parties, you know, not someone to go around. He's he's way more comfortable wearing a, wearing a costume and in character. Right. You know, and, and maybe not. Maybe now it's different. Right. I don't go to. Him, I haven't been with him to a party lately. But, but he's not. But, but at I, that time, he wasn't always on. Correct. Right. Correct. Uh, so let me ask you this then. Let me ask you the dumb question is just the producer that didn't go to law school. If you can withstand 17 lawsuits against Sasha Baron Cohen with a one-page release, why are there 28-page releases? That's an excellent question. I don't want a second guess. The studios that we work for and production companies, especially not the networks who, who, who want those things. Right. I guess you, they try to anticipate every conceivable uh, aspect, um, but in my opinion, it overthinks it. You know, when when first of all, you have to remember, in fairness to them, this is not a talent agreement for someone who's going to be on a show for right. for many many episodes. You know, it's it's a usually a, a twenty minute interview, and that's it. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a quick like sure you know entertainment law rundown in a second, like just a quick you know, uh, Cliff Notes version of, you know, entertainment law for idiots in a second. I'm going to run through a list of questions or topics that you can just, you know, give our audience advice on or your input on, which I think would be really helpful for a lot of the people listening because let's face it, the only people that listen to the show are the people that work day in and day out in reality TV. Um, So they'll get some free advice today, which is nice. And you're not charging. Uh, You're not charging, right? Since you said that I'm not charging and you have to, uh, since you used the word advice, I have to say. Oh, yes. I am obligated to say. That um, nothing I say here can be considered as legal advice. Right. You have to, you know, don't do this at home. Right. Uh, But before we get to that part, because I have some topics to run by you, before we get there, you emailed me just a couple anecdotes you might want to share 
on the show, which was really nice of you, by the way, because I, I well, think you I, asked. I, well, I, I've had like, yeah, I, the fact you actually went through with it, though, is, is new for a change. I ask all the time. It doesn't mean I get it you, beforehand. Yeah, um, you, in the last few years, started producing. Why are you producing? You've been doing this for, what, 30 years, entertainment mm. law, and you had a creative itch to scratch? Like, well, Tell me about uh, well, this. Well, I'll tell you. What happened is uh, I used to get asked, would you do legal work for free in exchange for an EP credit? Oh, interesting. And... I didn't even know what an EP credit was, and I didn't care because I wanted the money, not right. the EP credit. You know, right. and uh, that was and the best advice I ever got though on credits was that credits are free. Like if if you need to give somebody a credit, sometimes like someone in your office, someone at your company, credits are free. Yeah. Well, you know? now I'm learning how valuable they are, even if they're for free. Yeah. And uh, damn, I wish I would have gotten a lot of all those EP grab some, credits. Grab some of those yeah, yeah, in the past. Yeah, while I could have. Yeah. Um, but I met Zach. We got along like fire, and uh, and we house on fire, I should say. And we uh, formed a company called Convergent. Okay. And see, why can't a law firm just have a name like that? Clearly, you understand when you're on a production side. Branding is everything. Yeah. Why can't you call a law firm convergent? I don't know why. There is no reason why. I wanted to call our law firm Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. <laughs> I seriously want to do that, and Frank Dean talked me out of it. That's like, or or that's Emerson, like, Lake, and Palmer. That's like the bit in, that's like the bit in uh, Money Pit where Tom Hanks is a music manager, and he's repping this like band of guys that's all in drag, and they say they want the name of their band to be Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Like Uriah Heap. Anyway, um, so what are, you guys, what, are you, what are you guys producing? You're producing documentaries? Our shows? first film was Buena Vista Social Club, Adios. Oh, wow. The follow-up to Vim Bender's film. And he was EP, wow. speaking of EP, on this project. That's what introduced me to Cuba, and I just fell in love with it. Lucy Walker directed. It's a long story. It, was, it got great reviews. Uh, hasn't made a ton of money. But this is our first right. doc. Yeah. Not bad, right? Not bad at all. Two and a half million dollar budget, first doc. Two and a half million dollar yeah. budget for yeah. a doc. Well, the budget was two, but Good you know, for you. things happen. Good for you. Yeah. Did you no. sell finance? And uh, Zach did that. Bro- okay. No, Broad Green. Broad Green. Okay, yeah. got it. Back in the heyday of Broad Green. Smart. And yeah, it was good. Oh, good it for you, fun. man. All right, let me jump into some sure. legal advice here, some topics I want to run down. Now, these are, these are types of things I talk to you about. You know, now on all three shows, and I kind of just want to bring the audience into input you've given me in in the past because I think they're going to find it equally interesting. So let's just say, hypothetically, I was going to try to do a documentary series on Michael Jackson, and (laughs) I wanted to make it a six-parter on – Everything we think we know about Michael Jackson, maybe some untold stuff is in there, the accusations, things we maybe didn't know about, things that went on during his trials, all that stuff over six episodes. And let's say the network comes back to me and says, well, Jimmy, how are you going to be able to do a documentary series on Michael Jackson if you don't have his music in there? Mm. And I need to call my lawyer at that point. Uh, after I figure out that the MJ estate and Sony who hold the rights are not going to give me, uh, the rights to any music, uh, or music videos for that matter. After I've already been told that and gotten the stiff arm from the rights holders, I need to go to my lawyer and ask Russell, how can I do a documentary series on Michael Jackson without any clips? How can I maybe fair use Mm. clips of Michael Jackson, uh, moments from his music, uh, videos, remember the time, black or white, all the thriller, all that stuff. Can I get away with that? Yes. Well, yep. how, how can I possibly get away with including 
clips of Michael Jackson's songs and music videos and not pay a dime for it? Well, first of all, that should not be the motive. The motive should be, it has to be, right. that these clips are extremely relevant and absolutely necessary to telling the story. And I would say absolutely it is because you're telling the story of a musician. How can you – and a performer. How can you uh, uh, tell that story without something? But whenever you have those clips, in, it has to be very brief. It couldn't be the whole song ever. Right. It couldn't be more than a few seconds. Okay. And you have to refer to it. It has to be part of your narrative. Right. It can't ever be – even though it may effectively be, it can't be intentionally to just make it a sexier, better sounding, more interesting uh, film. So if it's commented on uh, by either a talking head interview or by a narrator, and I don't use more than maybe 10 seconds of it, it will qualify as fair use. There's no – well, first of all, no one could ever – no lawyer should ever say that something will qualify as fair use right. until that lawyer looks at the cut, right. looks at the context – and the whole situation, who's the rights holder and all that. Um, but you would advise that you think it, it, it can be done. It can be it, done. It can be done. It has been done. I will say what, your biggest stumbling block is that networks and studios don't want a fair use music. Hmm. Uh, and it's mainly for what you just – the reasons you just gave. The music rights holders are very aggressive and they may test you out by suing you. Have you seen um, lawsuits like that get filed? Um, not in my experience. I mean, I'm sure it's happened. I, I'm drawing a blank as okay. to whether I remember. I remember there was a Radiohead documentary, okay. and they were intimidated by Radiohead's lawyers so much that they had an entire documentary on the band Radiohead without any Radiohead music, and they had, they put in their own music instead, right. which I thought was preposterous. Right. So let, I, I'll throw another scenario out then without music. So I'm, I'm just looking up my, my bookcase now. Let's say I'm going to do a documentary on like one of my heroes, like Steve Martin. Okay, No music involved. Can I then fair use clips from his movies that are obviously owned by major Hollywood studios? Absolutely. You know, there's a film uh, about Stanley Kubrick that mm. has – about The Shining actually. And there's mm. tons of clips about The Shining. There's another one just coincidentally in, in the UK where – the Kubrick people, or actually it was the studio, I think it was Warner Brothers, whoever put out uh, Clockwork Orange, mm. sued Channel 4, my client, um, because they had clips of the movie in a documentary about Clockwork Orange right. and Kubrick. And they got an injunction. This is how dangerous it is. They did get an injunction banning the airing of the, the doc, mm. but it was overturned within a week by the Court of Appeals in London. Okay. So you can do it, but uh, you may face lawsuits. Oh, your phone ringing? I was going to have you hold up to the microphone. That was an interesting <laughs> ringer. Uh, right, another Miles scenario. Davis. Uh-oh. N- another scenario. That was, that was Miles Davis on the ringtone. That was Miles Davis you, on the ringtone? You need to uh, – hmm. We have to might have you might need some legal advice. I need a comment advice. on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just commented on it. On the, on the Miles Davis. By the way, the comment doesn't have to be anything scholarly. The it, comment, as I we've had a situation where the comment was someone's facial expression, basically saying "ugh," no, but, but you it, can't see on a podcast. No, but okay, so a podcast where I'm not benefiting financially in any way, can Miles Davis's family really come after me if I'm not actually making any money on this? No. Well, it's not about making money. That's one of the factors. But in this case, that would be incidental because you never asked me to play Miles Davis. Got it. If you had asked me, 
And if it had nothing to do with this podcast and you were just trying to jazz it up, no pun intended, uh, you could be sued. I could be sued. Yeah. By just play, if I just want to right now drop a, uh, an Elvis song, I could be sued by the Elvis yeah. estate. I sued. Even though I'm not financially making anything off it. I sued the largest uh, malt liquor company, G. Heilman Brewing Company, and a company called St. Ides Malt Liquor. They took two seconds of my client's voice, Chuck D., now, the difference oh, is... Oh, you rep Chuck D. from Public oh, Enemy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I represented Public Enemy back in the heyday. Don't believe the, the hype. The absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that was fun because uh, we took on the malt liquor industry, which he was already taking on in One Million Bottle Bags, you know, one of his songs. Did, attacking. You, did you win? We totally... Well, we settled. Wow. And I, we're not allowed to say how much, but let me just say it was more money than he made in his entire recording career. Stop it. Yeah. For two seconds of his voice. <sighs> Because they screwed up. And it also was in a commercial. Wow. What company was that? What malt liquor uh, was it? G. Heilman Brewing Company. They make you know all the malt liquor, a lot of malt liquors. Oh, my and gosh. They're one of the biggest brewing companies, actually. That's incredible. And then St. Ides Malt Liquor. It, the, the tagline was Ice Cube singing, St. Ides Malt Liquor <laughs> makes your jimmy thicker. Now you can see why... <laughs> you, you, now you see why I'm not in the, uh, the hip-hop business. I was about to say that's the greatest Ice Cube impersonation ever. Yeah. <laughs> you dropped that last line that I was not expecting. Oh, I it. had to do it for a federal judge. Oh, you my know? God. So, you did? Yeah. You had to, wait, you he had to drop. To know. He wait, hold on, hold on. In a trial of this trial, you had to drop Ice Cube lyrics? I had to. He wanted to know how was Chuck D's voice used. And I said, they would say, St. Ides. And then Chuck's voice would be, number one. And then it would be... Uh, St. Ives Malt Liquor, and he would say, uh, I don't know, I forgot. Makes but anyway, he would bigger? say it was one of his other other taglines. One of Chuck's other taglines. Yeah. And they just kept using and, it. And, and then it was, uh, makes your Jimmy thicker. And the judge says, makes your Jimmy thicker? What's that? I said, Your Honor, it means making your penis thicker. Uh, and then I caught myself, but not, not Your Honor's penis. So I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not referring to Your Honor's penis. And that was... Th- that judge laughed harder than any judge has ever laughed. He, he, he turned completely red, and he granted every motion that we made. And, and did, did, the ice, did they have the rights to use the Ice Cube voice? Yes. Ice Cube was actually was paid. How can you get the rights from he, Ice Cube? He was paid. He was paid. He, but why he, did they know, not he go was after, a gangster. Why did they go after Chuck D then? Not a gangster. He was a gangster rapper. Gangster rapper. Why did they not go after Chuck D if they were already paying Ice Cube? They just didn't want to pay both? Because the producer just put it in there. They didn't clear it. And they didn't it, clear it with lawyers. Like, where did you get this right. from? That was the days of sampling. What? Let me get another scenario. So let's say I'm doing a crime show, which I am for Investigation Discovery currently. And let's just say in this crime show. called? Never mind. Oh, we, <laughs> I'm not going to say drop the title. Uh, let's just say in this show, I'm going to have one of my main investigators roll up on a perp. Cameras are going to be rolling from the production truck. We're going to be shooting from a distance in public. Okay? Maybe out on someone's driveway. And he's going to roll up on this perpetrator and talk to him on camera um, about a, a serious case where we think he, he is the guilty party. Can I air this? Again, you know, a lot of it – this is why people don't like lawyers sometimes because we can't give a straight answer right. sometimes. I don't have all the facts here. Like okay. are you going to call him a perpetrator? No, you can't do that. Okay. Are you going to call him a suspect? You can't even do that. Person of interest? 
you can call – actually, legally, you can do call him a suspect, but I, investigation discovery will not allow you to say suspect okay. because that implies that your own judgment, you know, uh, it's, it, it just implies to a viewer something – you know, greater than it is because he could have been a suspect who was cleared, you know, right. for example. Right. Um, you would have to present, you know, evidence on both sides basically and anything that someone says about him, like he may have done it, you know, all the evidence for why he may have done it needs to be disclosed. And basically the point is you have to, the audience has to make up their own mind. Right. You can't just shove it down their throat, you know, right. your conclusion. Okay. But let's let's take the crime stuff out of it. Let, let's let's get into the whole people being filmed without their knowledge thing. I'm looking but, at the poster behind you. Is OJ innocent? Right, we did that what, one. What a, what a great right? one. And you, you and you you worked yeah, with we us on that we, one. Yeah. But let's let's take the crime stuff out of it. Let's say we're doing a, a, a hidden camera show, and my host is just walking on the street saying funny things to people. They don't know they're on camera. I have to have them sign something before I can air that. Depends on what state. Okay, uh, so the one party, two party. in California, party. exactly. So this, Cal- was, this yeah. is my original understanding of one party and two party, and you correct me where I'm wrong, because this is my understanding for a long time. A one party state, you know, you can start filming somebody without their knowledge, correct. and that's okay. You have not broken the law. But if you want to air it, you need to get them to sign before you, get them, before you air anything. Well, usually networks want someone to sign if they're going to be on camera or right. on audio, no matter what. Right. But... Technically, no, they wouldn't have to sign. Under, so in a one-party state, you do not have to have them sign anything. You do not have to legally, but just, you know, the profit margins, the networks feel are not great enough to withstand a lawsuit. Okay. And they might be right, depending on which law firm they hire to right. defend. You know, cause so, it, it could be more than the profit for the whole season. But in a two-party state, like California, I was told at one point, the second you put a camera on somebody without their knowledge... Unless you've posted signs right. or anything in the area to cover your tracks, you've broken the law. Yeah, it's the taping. It's not the, the taping. It's not the publication. Is also a violation. Right. But the taping itself, I just want to say a caveat. There also has to be a reasonable expectation of privacy. Mm. So obviously, if Donald Trump is speaking at a rally and you're recording him and you don't have his permission, you can do that. Right. Because there's no reasonable expectation of privacy. If if you're having what the person on the street thinks is a private conversation um, that's very intimate or something, then you would have to get his permission before you record. Uh, however, even though it's I, out in public. I would argue that someone talking to a total stranger on the street cannot have a reasonable expectation of privacy because, you know, that person, you don't know him. That person right. could go blabbing around, right. you know, whatever was said. So fascinating. I'm going to go through some other topics that you had, uh, you were good enough to email over uh, in our initial exchange. Uh, we already talked about appearance release forms for the most part, and shorter is better. We talked about that when it uh, when shorter can be better when discussing with Sasha Baron Cohen. But you also write that oh copyright licenses. So you write written copyright licenses also are not strictly necessary. What do you mean by that? You certainly want it signed. So for example. We are – I'm currently doing a Shark Week special, mm-hmm. and one of the most famous pop culture moments related to Shark Week that we want to feature in our Shark Week special is Tracy Morgan's line from 30 Rock, you know, uh, treat every week like it's Shark Week, right? right. Uh, his character Tracy Jordan said it. So we went to Universal, uh, the studio behind 30 Rock, and they said no. We then got the opinion that we can then fair use the clip. 
and we'll have to self source it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, my guys downstairs are going to be doing that, but we got the opinion that we can actually use it in our special. Mm. Why can we use it? Well, I assume you're going to put it in a context where it's relevant to the, you're telling the story of Shark Week, right? And this is a, a perfect example of uh, you know a reference to Shark Week, and, uh, and we're talking know. about the greatest moments in Shark Week specifically. Exactly. That's that's what the show exactly. is. Exactly. So this is one of those moments, and uh, you know you're allowed to tell that story. What is whether, whether again? I don't want to act like oh now everyone can just do whatever they want. I'm not right. saying that. I'm saying that you have to uh, do a rigorous analysis and you have to l- analyze four factors and put it in writing. You have to convince the carrier, the network, the studio, um, and some some pushback. You know, right. you'll have sometimes. And usually, the default of you know any network, the default would be license it. Right. And don't come to us unless you've tried to license it, right. and you and you must have. You feel you must have it, in right? The, and uh, and and for whatever reason, you can't get it. And then, and then they consider fair use, and they will consider. They will make their own judgment as to whether it really needs to be in the show or not. You say here settling without settling. So in one situation, you said you had a SAG member that was walking down the street and found herself accidentally in the footage of a street scene. Yeah. What that was, was crazy. What, what was the scenario? Tell me about that. That was just crazy. I can't say what I. I'll. Yeah, I can say it was Borat. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she was in one of those scenes, you know, uh, where Borat's in Fifth Avenue trying to shake people's hand. Hello, my name is Borat, and they tell they tell him, "You touch me, I'll break your balls." You know, stuff like that. And in the background, there's a woman. You know, there's lots of people in the background. Who's, and there's a woman. There's a and SAG. she happens to be a SAG member, and she hires some, you know, unscrupulous lawyer to bring a claim, on you know, saying that she needs to be paid her this and that and her residuals and blah, her daily and her blah blah blah, and uh, you know, other claims too. But right. that was the one that I thought was the most funny. <laughs> like, you know, you're you're putting me in a movie. I'm a SAG member because she's walking down the street. Right. And. Um, so, so uh, we didn't settle it, and I don't. It's been so many years. I'm not worried about it, and the client's not worried about it. And and you know, I've done conferences where I do the Borat stories, be- so I can say this. I just I don't want people to think I'm just a blabbermouth. No, but can she know? just linger? Like, she, so, so she I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. How, wait, but wait, I just want you, everyone to yeah. know that I'm not just telling tales out of school. So we had. Uh, a situation where we just decide we're not going to settle. And I, I said, or someone said, I think it was someone in our firm said, why don't we just, since she's an actress, why don't we just option her for another movie and just pay her like $500 for an option? And I don't remember the amount, but it was some tiny little thing. And she, again, she was like so flattered that we would option her. I don't think she believed it. I mean, it's an option. We're was not the, wait, act- the studio was behind this? The studio said we'll option her for a part? Uh, I can't remember whether it was the studio or the production company. Oh, the production company, okay. Uh, I, I, oh, my the honest gosh. truth is I don't want to tell you. But that's genius. Because <laughs> everyone knows who the studio was. Okay, that's, but, uh, that's genius. But, uh, uh, and then, well, the funniest thing of all was then the lawyer said he wanted to be optioned. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding so me? So we, we optioned the lawyer too, which means the lawyer wanted to be paid. And again, it was a you know tiny amount of money. Did they um, get fe- were they featured? No, of course not. They no, got- it was an option. It was a fig leaf. You know, it was oh, just, it's an option. It was so so you know it was never settled, 
And the claim is still out there. You know, the statute of limitations has passed now, so they can't bring the claim. Wow. We never settled the bogus claim. Awesome. We just made them go away by flattering them and giving them a few bucks so they can just go away. Wow. That's all I got for you, man. Th- all right. Thanks for doing That's this. That's enough, man. I appreciate it. Chris, I, I thanks, for, it. thanks for sitting in. I hope this was enjoyable. Very much so. I realized halfway through that... This was just Russell trying to impress you the same way <laughs> Harvey, and, Harvey and Donald tried to impress people. <laughs> I hope it worked. He might be, be quitting our law firm this afternoon yeah, after hearing I, all this. You chose the wrong room if you're trying to impress him. I'm sorry. You got him on the wrong show. Uh, Thanks, th- Jimmy. Thanks for doing this. All righty.